0: It's
1: go time! We all know that the bye week is a time for change, and Edmonton made theirs. Welcome to 3rd Down Gamble everyone, Don Charbon along with Heath Graham. Out as offensive coordinator in Edmonton and Stephen McAdoo in is Jarius Jackson. Jarius Jackson has been an offensive coordinator with BC in 2018 and 2019, and with Toronto in 2021. He does have a little bit of experience at the position, so it wasn't a tough sell to bring him into this spot. Why did the Elks feel the need?
0: To put it bluntly, they've been shut out twice in eight games so far this season. They have yet to win. Their offense is struggling, and a change needed to be made. We do see a bit of the result of the coach's salary cap here where the Elks are a bit limited in their opportunities and their choices. So it's almost like a cabinet shuffle more than anything. They're moving some pieces from within the party into some new roles. Also reported that Taylor Cornelius may be relegated to short yardage quarterback and Jared Dagey and Trey Ford are going to be getting looks as the starting quarterback much to the delight of a lot of Elks fans. There's nobody more popular in the CFL sometimes than that backup quarterback. We're going to get that opportunity to see Trey Ford take the field for the first time this season and Jared Daigie to get some more reps as well.
1: One of the things that was brought out by Jackson at his press conference when he was introduced was that he wanted to open up the offense. McAdoo in the sense that McAdoo tended to be relatively conservative. But let's go back to when he had his tour with Edmonton the last time. He had a quarterback named Michael Riley, who could put it on a dime anywhere on the field. And that opened up everything to him in terms of what he wanted to do. I've said repeatedly that the one piece of kryptonite in Chris Jones' armor is quarterback. If he doesn't have one, he doesn't seem to be able to bring one along. That has, again, affected him in Edmonton. Now, we know that if he didn't do something, the pressure was going to be on him from outside to maybe be ousted. And he was well aware of that, and he answered that question. He has a long history with Stephen McAdoo. They go back pretty much 25 years. There has got to be a lot of angst when he says that we've been talking about this for weeks— you're talking to a, a man who's been a really close ally, friend throughout this entire process, and now you're moving him away from what he knows. That had to be very, very hard for Jones to do, and it, as he says many a time in any press conference, I've got big shoulders, I can make tough decisions. He had to with McAdoo on this one.
0: It's a cliche that's often talked about in, NHL hockey more so than I hear in the CFL, but there's talk about the coaches losing the room. I feel seeing the body language of a lot of the Elks players as as the games continue to slip away from them, there might be a situation now where they're starting to lose the room a little bit. Jarius Jackson stepping up into that OC role, bringing some new ideas in, will be a little bit of a boost. I don't know if it's enough to get them over the hump. We'll we'll see what happens. And I'm going to circle back to Taylor Cornelius here a little bit as well. He's now had, I believe, 27 starts in Edmonton. He's won four of those, none of them at home. He's 0-13 as a starter at home. You can't lay all of the blame at the feet of Taylor Cornelius, but you need a player to steal a game for you at some point. And... Taylor Cornelius has not stolen a game for the Elks. In fact, he's done more to give it away. This game against BC, he threw an untimely interception, another would-be interception called back due to penalty, and almost threw another underhanded lateral fumble. It was about two feet forward progress that was called an incomplete pass. If you're not going to be pushing the ball down the field, you have to protect the ball, and he's failed to do that.
1: Darren Flutie on CBC years ago, famously said that there are quarterbacks that you can win with and there are quarterbacks that you can win because of. And I would put Cornelius right now in the win with category. But he's not the guy that you win because of his presence. And those types of quarterbacks are the ones that win you championships, the latter, the ones that you win because of their presence on the field, because they lead you, they bring everybody along. Taylor Cornelius has fight in his soul. He has courage for whatever reason, the game escapes him on one level. And that is not making the horrendous turnover in the game prior. He threw a ball underhanded out of the end zone to avoid a sack. Had that been picked, that would have been six right away. He's got to learn those lessons. This is the thing. He's still young. He's still got an upside. Taking him out of the equation right now certainly will be distressing and upsetting, but it could actually help him calm down. One of the things that Jones repeatedly said is that his confidence has to be restored. He's been beaten up. He's been hammered. He's been thrown around. And that Edmonton offensive line has been ripped apart game after game after game. Now, they don't get the sack totals against them because... Cornelius does typically get the ball away. The
0: offensive line is a great point to bring up as well. Much like we saw in Saskatchewan last year with Cody Fajardo, not having time to throw and running for his life play to play. Now we can debate whether he hangs onto the ball too long, but that offensive line needs to give you time to figure out what you're going to do. And, and at this point, the holes in that offensive line are glaring. And it's hard to develop a young quarterback, especially when he's scrambling on just about every play. That's where you tend to get the inaccuracies on the throws and the poor decision-making when you're under that kind of pressure.
1: One thing that's so important in football is self-scouting. And I'm going to say this in this context, regardless of who you are, regardless of how strong you are in terms of your play calling, your adaptability, every human falls into tendencies. And if you don't self-scout to understand what situations bring out what responses in you, other teams will be looking at that. And maybe that caught up to McAdoo after 10 years of being an offensive coordinator in the, in the West, teams caught up to him and said, in these situations, this is what he's going to call. We can be ready for it. It's not to say that he's, lesser because of it. It's just, it means that you have to sort of rejig. You have to figure out a way to approach a problem in a different manner because the problem is always going to be there at second and seven. What do I do? Uh,
0: We see from year to year, the offense will rule one season where there's a lot of points on the board, a lot of yards go up. And then a couple of years later, the defense starts to catch up and all of a sudden your points per game comes down. And to continue to learn and grow as a coordinator, you'll overcome those challenges when you're faced with them and you continue to move your team
1: forward. The one thing that Jerry's Jackson will provide is energy. You're right about the locker room. Maybe there was a disbelief that was starting to permeate. The question is, you've got a bye. The players right now have scattered to the winds. some of them. So they're going to be coming back on the weekend to come out of the bye and get back to work. Here's Jarius Jackson now calling the plays. He can't really change the playbook all that much because the guys just haven't been around to practice it. So when they do get back on the field and face the Blue Bombers, you're going to see the same Elks. It's just maybe not in the same pattern. They'll be trying a running play on this sequence as opposed to that sequence. Those types of things.
0: Jarius Jackson has to be careful to not do too much too fast. You're absolutely right. It it appears the one thing being that he has been the quarterback's coach, is that he he is pushing to see those other quarterbacks in game action. There were some rumors coming out of Edmonton, not necessarily rumors. Chris Jones indicated in Edmonton that Trey Ford did not have a great training camp, and that's why he was relegated to the third string QB. We're just about at the midpoint of the season for the Elks now, That should be enough time to overcome anything that you faced in camp if you were ill-prepared. So it's an opportunity now. I don't know if it's going to be Ford or Daggy that gets the start, but both of those guys need to take advantage of the situations when they're given the opportunity to get in the game. We've seen Daggy come in a couple of times in that backup role and one start so far. And he has shown a, a strong arm, some scrambling ability, he needs to get an opportunity to to show that he can be a, a starter here as well.
1: Of the two, I believe you're right. Jarrett Daigie will be the starter. Chris Jones, when it comes to Trey Ford, there's kind of an a interesting sort of dialogue that goes on. He does mention that Ford didn't have a, a great training camp. He mentions at practice that Ford maybe isn't as focused as he needs to be, that the passes just aren't there. Trey Ford last year, Prior, or prior to this season, went down to the NFL to see if he could land a job down there. That's the second time he's done that. If a guy is making the effort to get down to the States to play, how committed is he to the team that he's a part of at this moment? And I'm not saying that Jones absolutely is thinking this, but I'm sure somewhere in his mind he's wondering, if I get this guy to be a starter, he's just going to the States next year, what does that do for this franchise?
0: Well, if you've got the rest of the pieces of the puzzle, you can be successful like the BC Lions are this season. If you're struggling to put those pieces in place, it does set you back pretty substantially.
1: Coach's cap. If there's any truism about the coach's cap, it's always the teams that are struggling that get upset about it. The teams that are winning don't worry about it. But it is restrictive. It does say you've got to deal with these problems a lot more slowly than you would normally do. I don't know what Edmonton was planning to do. If they wanted to outright release Stephen McAdoo, they could. They just have to eat his salary. But I guess that hamstrings them in the sense that they can't bring anybody new in because a lot of the money is spent. Where do you find it until next year? I don't think that was ever on the table anyway. I don't, just because of the loyalty between Jones and McAdoo, there was no way that McAdoo was not going to have a job. He's a defensive consultant. He will help over there. What does Jerry's Jackson bring to the table? Do we get some energy? Do we see Jarrett Dagey, who I think is going to be the logical choice right now, get some shackles taken off of him, get some deep shots? I mean, we all know what Dylan Mitchell wants out of this season. Darnell Sankey has been granted his release by the XFL and now has... Entertained two contract offers from CFL clubs. Sankey, of course, last played for the Saskatchewan Roughriders in 2022, left because there was no contract coming, or at least not the dollar values that he wanted. And now, who do you think is out there that wants Darnell Sankey? He is an all star. He is
0: an all star. He would be welcomed, I think, on just about any team in the league. He would be a great fit on an already stout Toronto Argonauts defense. I don't know if they have much money available to try to lure him in at this point. I am pretty confident if there is some interest already that we will see him with a CFL team before the end of this season. It was a bit surprising when he did leave to go pursue those XFL opportunities. I believe it was to try to springboard into the NFL. Obviously, if he's looking back north of the border and has got his release from the XFL That isn't panning out the way he had envisioned, and now he's trying to come back. It's a a tough situation. I always appreciate the players going to take a try at the NFL. I don't know that I have that same feeling for players that have gone to try the XFL or the USFL.
1: He is going to wait a little bit to see if there's any NFL offers that come his way, but NFL right now is in its training camp phase Chances are, if you haven't been signed, unless there's a spate of injuries on one team, I'm, I'm really curious as to who in the CFO would want him. There's a possibility that Calgary could be thinking about it, although they're pretty well stacked there anyway. But he was a member of the Stampeders for a long time. Maybe Ottawa, maybe Hamilton would reunite him with Jameer Thurman if he went that route. It would, and
0: Hamilton's in a situation where they need to start stringing some wins together. Perhaps bringing a, a defensive player like Sankey in will give them that little bit of a boost. I mean, their biggest issue is on offense and especially at the quarterback position right now. I don't think Darnell Sankey has taken many snaps at QB in his lifetime, but on the defensive side, he would certainly be able to help them out.
1: So let's get to the Bow Levi situation. Uh, For those of you that didn't happen to see, Ottawa is down deep in the Hamilton territory, and it's late in the game. Third and two, they try to get their usual pass to number 80. This time, it's batted away by Casey Sayles of the Hamilton defense before it gets to Nate Bahar. Suddenly, Hamilton now has to just run out 13 seconds, and they win the football game. Now, Kenneth George Jr. takes misconduct foul, for Beacon at the Ottawa bench, takes the ball from the four to the two-yard line. So they're still well outside the end zone. Bo Levi Mitchell comes out to take the snap, and for whatever reason, and I'm, this one just befuddles me, Mitchell moves to his left and starts driving forward. Why? He is grabbed over the top and then twisted backwards, and another player has a hold of his foot, and he breaks his leg just above the ankle what were they thinking all you had to do with Mitchell in this circumstance was take the snap and fall down behind the center literally just turtle and get down in front of the goal line they could dive at you all you want you're already on the ground the whistle would go Hamilton then has to run off one more play and Ottawa has no more timeouts so even on the final play, if Mitchell decides to wander backwards and give up a safety touch, it doesn't matter. They've still won because they're ahead by four. The other thing that was said by Orlando steinar he says it was a football play. Oh, really? And then part two, he's, they didn't want their backup quarterback to finish the game. Well, guess what? Taylor Powell finished the game. I just, I, to me, whoever was responsible for Making that call needs to give their head a spin because you've got to have spatial awareness out there. Kilt one second off the first play and then easily you can run off 12 in the next play. You're done. Game over. Mitchell walks off the field on his own volition instead of being carried off. That will boggle me forever. And given how tough it's been for Hamilton to win football games, why would you even think of having him do that?
0: There's a lot of discrepancy on whose idea that was on that play. There's been some culpable deniability. It was a, first of all, it's a very frustrating play to see a star quarterback of Bo Levi Mitchell's caliber go down again. He just got off a six game injured list with a hamstring injury, played almost this entire game. And then to have this happen with 13 seconds left is, is a really tough situation. The, Kenneth George penalty started this whole thing in motion. Had they been first down at the four yard line, I feel that all involved would have had a bit more breathing room and we would not have attempted that play. My best guess is that because they were backed up at the two yard line, they felt like they were in close. The risk of a fumble at that point recovered by Ottawa in the end zone would even giving up a safety. Now you're looking at a point differential between these two Eastern Division rivals. I agree with you. I believe there is enough room to take the knee once and then run out the clock. The, the clock would run and get down to zero before it was snapped on, on second down, which we saw with Taylor Powell in the game. That was the case. It doesn't appear that anybody is going to own up to who was behind this play call or if it was Bo Levi himself feeling that he needed to do something.
1: Given the unit that went out there, which was the Hamilton big unit, which means they wanted to push the ball forward, that came from the bench. And if it was Bo Mitchell that said to himself, oh, they're sending out the big unit, I guess they want me to go forward. But if that was Tommy Condell's direction, and you know that Ottawa is psyched to do something because they know you have to do something on first down. They think anyway that you're going to try something. They, and on second down, you know it ain't going to happen. Steinhauer is defending his OC or defending Bo, whichever, and just saying it was just an unfortunate football play. Yes, it was. It, it is a freak accident. I agree. But if he doesn't push forward and have Ottawa linebackers diving over to try to get at that football, it never happens. And that's what I argue with. If you go to ground just take the snap and go right to ground. What is Ottawa going to do?
0: And you can't blame the Ottawa Redblacks for trying everything they could to get the ball back. It was a a close enough game. It was a four-point game. They needed to score a touchdown. They needed to get the ball back. They're doing everything in their power. Had the ball been out at the 20-yard line, I doubt Ottawa would be going at it that hard. The fact that it was backed up inside the five gave them the feeling that if something goes wrong with a snap, we still have a chance they played hard right to the whistle, and you you certainly can't fault them for that. You mentioned Hamilton wanting to have their starting quarterback out to end the game. I'm with you. I don't really understand the necessity for it. But Levi Mitchell's in his mid-30s. He's been out there for a lot of games in the last second to take a knee and get the win and walk off. Does he need it at that point? Is that what you were trying to do? Or were you that scared that Taylor Powell was going to somehow mess this up and and fumble the snap?
1: One will never know. I, I, I respect Orlando Steinauer's commentary. He, he doesn't want to throw anybody under the bus. He's, he's just calling a football play. He's trying to deflect it at the same time by saying it's just a football play. Very unfortunate. It's a freak accident. Bottom line is it didn't have to happen. And so if you're in that coach's room, you better have an answer as to why you did that. And let's learn from this. Because as it is your backup now is going to become your starting quarterback for the foreseeable future. And I don't know who else they can trade for to change that dynamic.
0: Second down.
1: Returning to TD Place Stadium, let's talk about that game. Hamilton and Ottawa, the Tiger Cats winning on the road 16-12. to 12. Prior to the game, Bo Levi Mitchell had said it's a, I don't want to be a guy that's going to throw four touchdowns and 450 and we lose. Well, he didn't throw four touchdowns and he didn't throw 450. He threw five picks and they won.
0: A week ago, we were treated to really exciting games, just about every single one. This week, I I don't feel it delivered quite the same way. Still entertaining if you're a football fan, absolutely. And I want to talk a little bit more about Dustin Crum for the fourth game in a row With the game on the line and the clock winding down, he got them right down into inside the 10-yard line. Stopped this time on the four-yard line. That prevented the go-ahead touchdown. But it doesn't seem to matter what happens throughout the game when it gets down into that, inside that three-minute
1: warning. Dustin Crumb shows up and gives that team a chance to win. He's one of those types of quarterbacks that you win because of him. And he's starting to get a reputation for being a cardiac kid. His stats will not wow you from that football game. Crum is 13 of 22 for 158. On the other side, 23 of 40 for Bo Levi Mitchell for Hamilton. Two touchdowns and five interceptions. And what a sequence there was when Hamilton, Hamilton's Kai Loxley scores a touchdown. To start that sequence, before I forget, Mitchell had found... Terry Godwin on a post pattern deep and he dropped the ball. Mitchell throws an interception. The ball is stripped. It's Terry Godwin. The Thai Cats recover. It would have been third down had the ball just gone incomplete, but as it was, it was a possession, a return, a fumble again. And on the very next play, they throw the out to Loxley. He goes the distance to score another touchdown.
0: And, and that's one of the fun things about the CFL as well, is you get that change of possession on the interception and then on the fumble. And it's a, it's a new set of downs back on the offense. It was really entertaining. A couple of those interceptions by Mitchell were clearly on him. There's a couple that were tipped and funny plays as well that seemed to get away. Ottawa's defense did everything they could to hold them into this one. The Kai Loxley touchdown by far was the game changer and started to put things a bit out of reach for
1: the Red Blacks. CFO football is amazing if you just look at some moments within it. For the Ottawa Red Blacks, who were favored going into this game, although when Bo Levi Mitchell was announced as a starting quarterback, that number shrunk, this has got to be a gut check to lose to the Tiger Cats. If you win this game, you're over five hundred, and you and the Argos are now staring at each other. Now, with the loss, Hamilton... And as we find out, Montreal are all in the mix. This could
0: be the season that I've been predicting for about the last three or four seasons where the East comes down to uh, almost identical records for those teams two through four chasing the playoff spots. The Argos have separated themselves for sure with that Red Blacks loss. They're, They're pulling away in the East right now. It's going to take somebody to really string four or five wins together to make an attempt to chase them down. It looks like there's a a battle in place now for those final two playoff spots. And the Red Blacks seem to be a bit resurgent. Montreal has been fairly consistent, if not great. The Hamilton Tiger Cats might be in the really tough situation now with Bo Levi gone for at least another six games.
1: This game also delayed 59 minutes by a thunderstorm. Marshall Ferguson famously said at the Sunday game in Montreal, Wherever I go, the storms do follow. I wish he would come out to where we live because we're desperate for rain right now. We move over to Touchdown Atlantic. Husky Stadium in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Sold out for months. And the Rough Riders and the Argonauts play. The Argonauts' offense stinks, but Toronto finds other ways to score and wins 31-13. to Definitely Chad
0: Kelly's worst start as the number one quarterback for the Toronto Argonauts. Struggled to put some points on the board. Special teams stepped up. They had some really lengthy kick returns. Boris Beattie was solid kicking the field goals. And that defense gave Mason fine fits all day and and really prevented that Rough Riders offense from getting going.
1: Javon Leak with a huge 71-yard putt return touchdown that started the Argos going in the first quarter. Saskatchewan were trailing 21 to nothing going into the half. You can't hang this on Mason Fine, though. He was beyond courageous in surviving the beating that that Argonaut defense was laying on him. He was picking himself off the ground time and time and time again. 27 of 39 was fine for 302 yards, but he had two Interceptions, and of course, one went for a touchdown the other way. Jake Dolagala comes in, goes four of five in the final couple minutes, a hundred yard drive, and he throws the only touchdown the Rough Riders get all day to Sean Bain Jr., but it was kind of in whatever time.
0: It was. We saw this earlier with the Elks earlier this season with Jarrett daigie coming in and scoring in kind of a mop up role, and the Elks fans clamoring for him to be anointed the number one guy. We're hearing a little bit of that buzz out of Ryderville with Jake Doligala gaining in popularity. Mason Fine didn't do anything to lose that game. Completing 27 passes, almost 70% completion rate, 300 yards, two touchdowns, or sorry, two interceptions were costly, but he did everything in his power.
1: His counterpart for the Toronto Argonauts, Chad Kelly, who's been getting all the press this year. 13 of 21 for 122 yards, one interception, Nick Marshall with that, and a touchdown pass. And that came as a result of an Argonaut interception. Deshaun Amos's interception kind of put the game away for Toronto, but on the play, just as Fine is releasing the football, he is getting crushed by Sean Oakman, (laughs) That takes some sting off the ball. It flutters a little bit, and it's a 58-yard touchdown going the other way.
0: Sean Oakman's a big dude, and he's not somebody that I'm going to stand in there very willingly to take a shot from when he's, when he's coming through that line. A, a great gutsy performance, as you mentioned, by, by Mason Fine. Really tough situation to be put in. His, his two starts this season have been against the BC Lions and the Toronto Argonauts, who have far and away the best two defenses in the league. Uh, a really tough test to come in and, and cut your teeth as a
1: starter. In the other part of this game, Jamal Morrow's fumble at the goal line. A killer for the Rough Riders. If he hangs on to that football and the Rough Riders score, it might be game on at that point.
0: They certainly had some opportunities. They, they missed a, a couple of that one, certainly, and there was a, a dropped
1: pass that could have been a touchdown as well. Two weeks in a row now, the Rough Riders' defense has shown up and managed to keep the offense in the game. Later Saturday, we go to Commonwealth Stadium and the Edmonton Elks trying to get out of that dubious distinction of being the team with the longest home losing streak in pro sport in North America. Unfortunately, the BC Lions had other ideas and for the second time this season, shut out the Elks 27 to nothing. this time. They look dominant on defense and Dane Evans looked very comfortable on offense. I'm happy
0: to see Dane Evans put in that kind of performance. I know he went through a lot of turmoil last year in Hamilton. Things just were not going his way. I felt like the BC Lions were a good fit for him to move to this year with Vernon Adams being their number one guy. Vernon is injured looks like he won't be back this week either so another start for Dane Evans and uh, a great bounce back and and we knew Dane Evans was capable you talked about Taylor Cornelius needing to rebuild his confidence that was a similar situation that Dane Evans was in
1: and it looks like that confidence is back 25 of 32 for 330 and two touchdown passes for Dane Evans on the flip side Taylor Cornelius goes all the way 16 of 30 with two interceptions of course one of those was down late in the game when they were driving and the ball was picked off in the bc deep in bc territory and that just crushed the heart of the elks at that moment 21 straight they have lost at home it's never a record that you want to point to and say that's ours I do feel for that franchise because there were times during the streak that they came oh so close. The one thing that people have to remember, they, there's been a lot of chat on Twitter about, well, ever since they changed their name to the Elks. Well, no, since they've been the Elks, they haven't won at home. Yes, but they were that previous name when this started.
0: The fans that are hanging on to the old handle at all costs are fighting a losing battle. The Elks will bounce back from this. It's, it's a tough thing to face right now. I felt that the first week of this season, they had the Rough Riders at home was a chance to end the streak. It didn't happen. Now they start to question as these things pile up. And you've also got to think being shut out twice in this, a season does not happen very often. Uh, especially to the same team, the the BC Lions defense has these Elks figured out, and that has to start creeping into the back of your mind a little bit about what is wrong with our team. I I hope they turn things around. They've got a tough test coming out of the bye facing the Winnipeg Winnipeg Blue Bombers, so things don't get any easier for game number nine.
1: Sunday night, we go to Montreal, and again, another weather-delayed football game. This one right at halftime, which is a little bit more convenient, but the Alouettes come out of the halftime and hang on to defeat the Calgary Stampeders 25 to 18 a second time this season that Jake Mayer has rolled to his right, thrown a ball to the corner of the end zone and missed his receiver. Jake Mayer put it on himself. He stood up in front of everybody and said, that's my fault. That's my read. That's my mistake. I've been critical of Jake
0: Mayer this season about what he has shown or hasn't shown. Again, 256 yards, two interceptions. Not a great night as a quarterback, but he does have that confidence that he is taking full responsibility for it. This one really was a game of field goals. Do you like field goals? Because there was 12 of them in this one. And one was missed. And one was missed. 13 field goal attempts. Renee Paredes goes six for six. David Cote goes six out of seven, and that was the majority of the offense in this one.
1: An interception returned by Kavian Ento early in the game is the only touchdown that is scored by the Alouettes. They too had opportunities down deep, but they settled for field goals time and time and time again. If you look at the the distance of their field goals, they're all fairly short. <laughs> Unlike Calgary, where Rennie Paredes was hoofing it from 50 yards out, and what a nice little treat for him to kick 6-for-6 six six on his 200th game in the CFL. The biggest problem that Calgary has is they do not have a running game at all. Since Kadeem Carey went down, they had one night where Diedrich Mills had a good game. And since then, it's over. Let's just quote some stats from Jake Mayer for you. 24 of 44... For two fifty-six as you end and two interceptions. Cody Vargardo goes sixteen to twenty-nine for one fifty-eight. Mayor, they're relying so heavily on his throwing ability. And this is a second year for this guy in this league. The Calgary Stampeders, if you want to watch anybody play, them in Ottawa I'll watch every week because you just don't know what's going to happen in the final ten seconds. On the other
0: side, William Stanback had his best game of the season, 15 carries for 86 yards. So Cody's passing yards down a little bit, but Montreal did a far better job of establishing the run. Cody Fajardo had 27 yards on the ground himself. Caleb Evans came in in short yard for three carries for six yards. On the the flip side, tall Tommy Stevens was the leading rusher for the Calgary Stampeders with 32 yards on two carries. Diedrich Mills, five carries for 16 yards isn't establishing a running game.
1: And I have to apologize again. I'm sure last week I called Tommy Stevens, Tommy Daniels. And the other thing that I have to correct on that Ottawa was the first team to win back-to-back overtime games in the regular season in the CFL. But the Calgary Stampeders had actually done it in 1991 with Danny Barrett as their quarterback. And they did it over the same team twice in a row. I believe it's the BC Lions. I did see some buzz on Twitter about that, and it looks like maybe prior
0: to the CFL itself, I believe the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were shut out by Edmonton twice in the same season. There have been a couple of instances of, of being shut out multiple times. Um, hopefully, Steve Daniel gets you some solid facts on that. I don't believe everything necessarily that I read on Twitter, and nor should you, uh, but it was one of the notes that I, I did see somewhere along the way.
1: So, in terms of shutouts, here's what the records are. The team that's been shut out the most in one season was the Calgary Stampeders back in 1967. They were shut out three times. The 1970 Calgary Stampeders and the 1965 Winnipeg Blue Bombers, as the other teams that have been shut out twice in a season. It's the first time since 1970 that a team has had two shutouts. That information from Steve Daniel.
0: Third down.
1: We start with a colossal game in Winnipeg on Thursday night. The BC Lions are in town. Dane Evans will be the man in charge. The Bombers coming off a bye. Teams coming off the bye are 9-1. Winnipeg coming off the bye is 5.5 favorites against the BC Lions. The Lions, of course, went into Winnipeg not that many weeks ago and handed it. The bombers are now again favored at home. Is this a Kenny Lawler factor?
0: It's a bit of a Kenny Lawler factor. It's a little bit of a Dane Evans factor. It's probably a little bit of that bye week factor. I don't like the five and a half. I I want to pick BC to win outright in this one, based on what happened last time they were in Winnipeg. With the change at quarterback and with Winnipeg coming off the bye. I am going to swing back the other way and give the outright win to the Bombers, but I think that BC does
1: beat that five-and-a-half-point spread. Lions have only given up five touchdowns all season. At this rate, it will be a record for fewest touchdowns ever allowed. I like that Lions defense. Nothing has told me that anything's going to change. They befuddled Zach Galeris the last time they played him. Yes, Winnipeg has had an extra week of preparation. It's a bit of a shorter week for the Lions to get there. If I go any direction, I'm going to say Winnipeg wins but not covers.
0: This one has potential to be a a really exciting game. With the quality of play of both of these teams, it could be a nail-biter right down to the end or one team could dominate the other like we saw earlier this season when when BC came to Winnipeg and won 30-6.
1: to I'm looking forward to this, a a 1v1 type of battle.
0: And we were entertained last year when these two teams met and and you threw the Calgary Stampeders into the mix as well. The combination of those three teams were were must-watch football.
1: As are the Stampeders again this year. Friday night, Toronto goes to Calgary to take on the Stampeders. Interesting stat, Alberta teams have not won in Alberta this year. They are 0 at home. For the second year in a row, the Stampeders are 2-5 and to start the season. Now, last year, they made it all the way to the West semifinal. Can they do it again? Toronto is 8.5-point favourites. They're going to be coming from the East Coast. It's going to be interesting to see how they react to that. They did not perform well in offence. They did run well against the Rough Riders. For what it's worth, Chad Kelly was off his game passing. He was, and Jake Mayer
0: has a way of keeping the games close and giving his team a chance late. I do like the Argonauts to win this one, but much like the first game of the week, I think that the spread is too much. I'm going to take Calgary to to beat the spread, but Toronto to win
1: this one. Calgary, after Toronto, they play Winnipeg, BC, and Toronto in this month. There's not a lot of faith being shown in the Stampeders. When you think that the Rough Riders were 10.5 point underdogs in Halifax. Toronto wins, but doesn't cover. Game three, Saturday. Montreal goes into Hamilton to take on the Taylor Powell-led Hamilton offense and the Tiger Cats. The Alouettes are two and a half point favorites. Of the teams in the East, excluding Toronto, they have been the most consistent week to week, these Montreal Alouettes. If they can find the end zone, they will win this football game.
0: Because of the quarterback turmoil in Hamilton, I think two and a half points is pretty generous to the Tiger Cats. I'm going to take Montreal to come into Hamilton, win this one more than cover that spread. I think it's going to be a a touchdown
1: for sure win for the Montreal Alouettes. Last time they were in there, they took out the uh, Tiger Cats 38 to 12. Of course, that night, Tiger Cats were kicking field goals. Alouettes were scoring touchdowns. I don't see how that's going to change. Hamilton's defense is vastly improved, but the offense needs to do something to win this game. Sunday, the Red Blacks coming off their loss to Hamilton in Ottawa go to Mosaic Stadium to take on the Rough Riders who are coming back from that Eastern time zone themselves, way out east. Saskatchewan is not favored at home. The Red Blacks are favored on the road by one and a half points. That's basically a pick 'em when it comes to point spreads.
0: Really interesting that you've got two teams with identical three and four records. You've got two teams that have lost their starting quarterback for the season, yet the road team is the one that's favored by a point and a half. I like the Rough Riders at home in this one. Dustin Crum and Mason Fine, head-to-head at quarterback, each trying to prove themselves as a starter. I like what Mason Fine did last week. I'm I'm taking the Riders to win Unless Dustin Crum gets the ball inside the 20-yard line with less than a minute left, then all bets are off.
1: This is an Ottawa defense that picked off Hamilton's Bo Levi-Mitchell five times. Braylon Addison is coming back now for the offense. He's coming off the injured list. That's going to help them there. If Saskatchewan is going to win, that offensive line has got to come together and give fine time. It's going to be a real gut check, I think, for Dustin Crum. After losing, how does he respond? Saskatchewan to take this one, that Mason Fine can open up this offense, moving the pocket around.
0: There's some intriguing games this week.
1: Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, with the Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.
0: Gosh. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.